Welcome to In Our Experience, a podcast exploring the many ways of living well with Nourish Yoga Training. I'm your host, Harriet, yoga teacher and founder of Nourish. This week, I'm talking with Beverly Nolan. Beverly is a yoga practitioner with more than 30 years experience of class teaching and more than 10 years experience of teacher training. Her practice and teaching has shifted from its origins in the Iyengar tradition to embrace an explorative approach that draws on her love and unfaltering interest in experiential anatomy, infant movement development, somatic psychology, and the discipline of authentic movement. Her most recent studies and experiences have channeled her energies into understanding how embodiment practices, including yoga, can be made more accessible through integrating tra- trauma-informed protocols and how they can successfully migrate into outreach settings. I had a really lovely time chatting with Beverly. Um, I feel like I say this every episode, but the time just flew by. We talked about finding our way with asana the coincidental nature of rest and performance within practice. I think this is a really special episode and I can't wait to hear what you think. So do let us know. You can find how to contact us in the show notes. Right. Here's my chat with Beverly. Hi, Beverly. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to uh, having a chat with you. Yeah, I'm excited too, but have some trepidation about where we go. <laughs> oh, well, we can. Well, I think that's the wonderful thing about podcasting in general is that, well, I think the best podcasts are the ones that are just people having a conversation. So, we'll, you know, we can go wherever we want to go. Um, but we will start with how I start every episode, which is asking you what's nourishing you this week. And it can be something small something big it can be silly it can be serious and I'll I'll share mine to sort of to get us started so I had actually this week I had a new 200 hour program begin um which as as you will know as a as a trainer yourself it's always a very exciting day it's like a first day of school um and it was really lovely and and the students were really lovely but the thing that I enjoyed the most about it is that I'm using a studio space where the studio is owned by a friend of mine and also within it another friend has a business so I sort of had this day of like being around friends and being at work and I'm very aware that you know I live by myself I work from home alone a lot and often when I go to teach I go in and I teach and I don't have colleagues so I had this day of being around people and it felt really lovely because I'm not sure how you feel but I'm sort of I'm a bit tired of doing it all alone (laughs) at the moment particularly work yeah yeah I I can resonate with a lot of that um yeah also live alone but with my dog I think you have a cat I do have a cat yeah so I have my puppy yeah um I do have colleagues who teach on the trainings that I offer but we're not often in the same room together sometimes we co-teach but very often we're not we're each teaching solo so I really resonate with that and how yeah especially after COVID just being in spaces with like-minded people is very refreshing I think but very odd very odd at the same time yeah um for me what I have found nourishing in the past couple of weeks is actually totally unrelated to um 
sort of my embodied well it is embodied work but it's it's not related to being on a mat and rolling around <laughs> and that would be um I am deep into espionage audiobooks Ooh. and <laughs> I'm in a I'm in I'm in the third of a three set trilogy which is I'm really enjoying um so that takes me right away from everything else which I love and I've I'm wrestling with some crochet (laughs) so I'm just trying to uh yeah so I'm yeah which is great so it fixes my mind in different ways and allows me to uh, be challenged by my puppy who thinks that yarn is another toy to steal and as she gets hold of it yanks it everything comes undone and I have to start again so I think there's a real life lesson (laughs) yeah what's your yarn and me (laughs) yeah what's your puppy's name Lola oh that's very sweet I um I'm reading I'm reading this great book at the moment called Orwell's Roses by um by Rebecca Solnit and it's about George Orwell's love of like gardening and nature and you know I think you know usually we associate George Orwell with sort of political writing and and his essays and his novels and being this very um active thinker um and the point that she sort of Rebecca Solnit makes in this book is that it's so important to have activities and things that you do that allow your other work to happen and her point was sort of that for George Orwell what allowed his writing to happen was often the time that he spent you know in his garden or um tending his roses uh so um I, th- I I was thinking about that as you were as you were talking about the espionage and the crochet they're sort of they're they're things that you do that like allow your other work to happen perhaps yeah I think it allows um it allows the other work to sort of shift into the hinterland if you like mm. Um, and yet it's still there because I can I can feel it sort of filtering through in, you know, the practice of attention, for example, yes. um, the practice of repetition, you know, it's, it's still it just it's so the work sort of co- comes out in different ways. But the sort of direct nature of my work is, yeah, much more in the hinterland of the experience. Mm, I love that. I love that way of describing it. Um I often think about it as like marinating time. <laughs> like, you know, if you're if you're cooking and then like you put the you know, the whatever you're marinating in the fridge to marinate, but you know it's there. You know it's doing something whilst you go and do other things. Um and it's I think it's so important particularly because we we seem to live in a world that really emphasizes the like the active time, the doing. And I'm like, no, we got to make room for the Make room for the marination, make room for the hinterland. Yeah, that puts, when I think of cooking like that, that puts me in mind of the idea of alchemy. You know, the, we have to, the, the things have to come together and it's in their commingling that something else comes out of it, like a really good flavour or another experience. Oh, yeah. I really like that way of thinking about it because there's also something sort of slightly mysterious or like unknowable or um 
coincidental about it as well. I've been thinking a lot this week about, um, I mean, uh, at the end of the the first book in the Yoga Sutra where like Patanjali is talking about um, all of the different types of samadhi and how you can attain them. And he, he like he talks about them and then he's sort of like, oh, but they happen by accident. <laughs> so like you can do all of the work, but also sometimes it it's the, the word, the word that he uses is samapatihi, which is like coalescence or coincidence or this sort of like intermingling that happens. Um, oh, lovely. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually he says, I, I mean, I think he says something a little bit like that in, in numerous places where you can kind of do things or not. Yes. <laughs> and I think perhaps we can get tied up in the doing, as you were saying, Harriet, and we and the doing can preoccupy us. Mm-hmm. Whereas if if we Yeah, that can just get be so dominant and actually it can all it can become the obstacle in a way, because we get caught up in am I doing it right? Am I doing it for long enough? You know. Who's going to judge me? How, how, you know, it becomes a, a whole um, quagmire of conditioning rather than dropping back into the hinterland again. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's almost like sometimes I'll have students who are doing too much yoga. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You'll have somebody and they're like, they're doing too much practice. They're, they're, you know, maybe doing out, you know, and more, more asana than I would ever think is advisable. And, you know, they're like, you know, my, my, my practice is, you know, 30 minutes of meditation and then an hour and a half of asana. And then I do like pranayama and I'm like too much, too much. And it says, you know, there's not enough like fallow, fallow time as well I read a really um great book last year or the year before called Wintering by um Catherine May have you come across this it was just recommended to me with someone so it's it's on my wish list of things once I get past my espionage craving (laughs) Mm, well I mean I would love to I would love to hear your take on it when you when you do get to it but the point of I mean (laughs) not to spoil it for you (laughs) I'm sorry but the her sort of argument is that things need a things need a period of winter so that we can appreciate like summer when it comes you know you need you need periods of sort of fallowness and um uh barrenness almost so that you can appreciate abundance when when it arrives which i think is a really important important thing to say because i think you know if you think about it from i guess a, a cultural perspective or a social perspective where you know, the classic is like you can get tomatoes year round and at the supermarket and, you know, we live in like climate controlled homes and we're, you know, from a work perspective, we're always expected to be busy. Like we don't have those rhythms to our time in the same way that perhaps we could. Yeah, as you're speaking to me about that, what's coming up is about, and and this individual who 
has um, quite a full practice um, is that the tissues need fallow time. If we're talking about phys- physical practices, uh, the nervous system needs, you know, fallow rest time as well. And I think there's something about the perception of resting and fallow time as if nothing is happening, as if it's just passively empty. And yet we know if we come to the body systems of the you know, sympathetic and parasympathetic systems. The parasympathetic system is not passive. It's not actually doing nothing. What's happening is I, I am getting out of the way of that system so it can come forward from the hinterland. It can come into the foreground and be doing all its stuff. I mean, it's incredibly busy, incredibly active, mm. incredibly, uh, you know, it's vital that it's involved and it's and it's activated but we activate it by getting out of the way Mm. so I think there can be something about uh, there's a misconception about rest if you like that it's it's uh, it's not productive in fact rest is a very productive state and a very Mm -hmm. active state it's not doing nothing and I think you know we've got caught up in you know, the times where only when we appear to be busy and appear to be doing things, appear to be carrying on through fatigue and um, that then we have value in the world. And yeah, that's um, that can't be sustained (laughs) as we all know. No, I mean, well, I I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, Wow. I think, that, that that conversation of what's nourishing us has gone to some gone to some nice places, um, but I'm keen to hear a bit about your your background and how it is that you would you would describe what you do. Okay, my background in this context. So um, I have been a yoga teacher as such. I qualified as a yoga teacher. That, that was air. Quotes yeah. from when not watching a video. Um, uh, back in the middle 80s, um, and when being a yoga teacher wasn't kind of a profession as such, it was something I did, most people did alongside another profession or if they were privileged enough not to need to work. So it wasn't something that you um, you went into as a way of earning a living. Um, so I did that for a long time alongside working um and then uh so about the time that I had my daughter who's now 22 um I uncovered a pathway a little bit further which took me into more of the world of somatic so so still movement modalities but not yoga so Mm -hmm. um so that would be things like Feldenkrais, body mind centering, um, bit of five rhythms at the time, and continuum. Um, so th- those things were floating around for a long time, and then through Donna Fari's work, I encountered um, a teacher in the UK called Linda Hartley, who was one of Bonnie's Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen's sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, legacy of teachers and so I ended up go working of uh, studying with Linda and doing her program of study and then um obviously yoga was still going alongside that um and 
became a, a tutor on her faculty as well. So the, so movement has always been around. Movement for me um, has been a solace and a challenge and a place to encounter myself on many different levels. But I found I needed something, funnily enough, that took me out of yoga and sort of stretched my perceptions of things. And then I brought that back into my yoga practices and teaching. Mm. I think that's, I think that's really interesting. This idea of going beyond in order to, to come back to yoga. And I think it's a trajectory that is quite common to long-term practitioners and long-term teachers as well this need this sort of like and I can I can I, I I'm saying that because like I can feel it coming in my teaching at the moment where I was I was actually um I was talking with Theo last week Theo Wildcroft who who we we both know um I was talking to Theo about this last week around how I don't know like how your relationship to yoga and particularly your relationship to asana shifts. And I was saying to her that I'm really feeling the need at the moment to, I don't know, to go away and to look at that, to like almost, not quite, but to almost take a sabbatical from asana teaching in particular. Um, and I don't know, find a way back into it because I sort of feel like I've... Uh, I feel a bit withdrawn from it at the moment. Um, like I still, I still practice asana, but in a way that is perhaps, I mean, in a way that would certainly be unrecognizable to me, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, so yeah, to sort of leave and then return and, and find a way back into it is, is something that I feel is necessary for me at the moment, but I'm not sure what that looks like. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I resonate with that. And I think um, I got to the point where I was at a an intensive in London with Donna, where I was at the point saying, I really don't see the point of me carrying on with yoga teaching. I, I, I'm not finding what I, th I think I need. We're talking about nourishment. Uh, I, I kind of felt I'd hit some dead ends and it was the somatic movement modalities particularly authentic movement, um, Janet Adler's work, that um, was uncovering for me um, uh, questions around embodiment and spirituality, which I wasn't really finding the right flavour of where I was, even though, I, I mean, I love working with Donna, I still do. Um, and, and Donna sort of just posed the question sort of like, well, can it not be both? And I thought, well, actually, maybe there is, you know, maybe it's not an either or, maybe there mm. is a way. And it's been challenging because this is, again, going back about 20 years when somatics was kind of like, whoa, what? No one really, really, my hands are reaching out here. Yeah. <laughs> it was right out on the edges of, of any yoga conversations or asana conversations, really was on the edge of things. So for somebody who's maybe not familiar with somatics, could you... Give us a bit of a like a, a I don't know a definition or a, a, a little bit of an idea of, of what that word means. Well, it's it's a hard one actually because we could really say that you know the yoga that like modern postural yoga really 
should be um, included within the umbrella or underneath the umbrella of somatic practices because for me a somatic practice is somehow involving not just my body tissues but my thoughts my feelings um, my imagination my sense of spirituality is Mm -hmm. is is all there my sense of being an individual my sense of being part of a collective my sense of connection to universal it should all be there within mp modern postural yoga but i wasn't finding it and that's why i think um ferreting around in other movement modalities um uh gave me those pathways so i think there are various movement modalities, somatic movement modalities that will focus largely on the body and the mind, if you like. Um, and I think it's things like authentic movement where you will get the, the filtering in of the more spiritual inquiry or the more um, collective flavour of inquiry. So I would, in answer to your question, which I don't think I've really answered, is a somatic practice usually is, is holistic. It's not just about the body. It's about the person and all the facets of a person Mm. in my opinion I could be others might define (laughs) it differently no I think I think I think that's a really lovely I think that's a really lovely definition because I I think if 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 you were sort of newer to a somatic practice it might be tempting to think that it was just about the body which it isn't it's like the opposite it's about all of it as you were as you were speaking, I was reflecting on. I can't even. I can't, I'm not sure who said this to me recently, but it's it's often something that that comes up. You know, when I'm talking to people about practice, or I'm talking to trainees about you know why they love yoga or what's brought them into the practice, and they'll maybe say something along the lines of, "Oh, I really, I really love it because it helps me get out of my head and into my body." I think this is a really interesting phrase and it sort of, it sort of annoys me a little bit (laughs) when people say this and I am aware that perhaps I should be more, more, um, I should be less nettled by it. But it, I think the reason that I find it irritating is that they were never separate to begin with (laughs) and they're not like this, this sort of distinction that we have between mind and body is completely arbitrary you know that's whole like you know the Cartesian sort of like you know I think therefore I am like mind and body being separate is very arbitrary and I think very recent actually like in terms of how we think about ourselves and it's also a very it's a very western understanding of the body and I think yeah one of one of the things that is so lovely about about somatic practices is it's sort of this like consideration of the whole person like there's not that not so much that split between mind and body and I think there's also something to add that there's there's something about a somatic approach that's not about attaining a specific goal it's more about process than it is about goals and I think that for me when I hear you and others speaking about you know us and a practice and something not you know question marks whatever that feels it's it's something I think that where where we may have got sidetracked into goals and challenges and things like that rather than the process of being a mover on a mat 
Yeah, I mean, or not on a mat. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I think the I, I the emphasis or the the sort of drive within modern prostor yoga or you know contemporary yoga practice towards this like attainment or achievement I think has a lot to answer for um and certainly one of the one of the things that I've really been trying to focus on and it's I'm sure it's something I've talked about on the podcast before so apologies to any listeners but it sounds like feels like it's Groundhog Day but what I'm interested in doing in practice and in life is focusing on the quality of my experience over the outcome. And on a practical level, what that means is that what I, what I try to do is establish conditions rather than like attainment. So, you know, if we, if we use rest as an example, I love this because like normally people can get it straight away. Like you can't decide to rest. Like there isn't a switch that you flick, which is like rest mode. You know, you can lie down on your bed and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to rest now. But it's not like you lie down and immediately like parasympathetic nervous system, you know, boots up. And then you're rested. Like, but what you can do is create the conditions for rest to arise. And then sometimes rest will arise and sometimes it won't. But like, but that's okay. Um, so when, you know, and you can you can take this and you can sort of apply it to, you know, anything. But um, but I think, you know, you're absolutely right. I think. And I hadn't, I actually hadn't quite, hadn't quite thought about asana in that way in, in relationship to this. So, so thank you for that. Um, but yeah, I think there is there a lot of my discomfort around asana practice at the moment is like, what am I doing? What am I doing in, what am I doing in asana? Like, I'm not, like, I'm very clear in my, in other areas of my practice, like in my sitting in my sitting practice in my meditation practice in my my teaching and my engagement with you know philosophy and anatomy and service I'm very clear on what those do for me but I'm not sure what asana is doing for me at the moment I was just thinking about as, as she was speaking Harriet about um my Instagram feed and I do um in, in or the barefoot body training feed and I've got I follow some individuals who have quite an I would say an accomplished air quotes again an accomplished practice in their tissues and their body and I I witness that and I I enjoy seeing I enjoy witnessing the complexity of what is showing up in the shapes they make or the the arm balances and the sequences I enjoy that as a witness and I totally know that in my my sort of uh, where I am with my own body you know that half of that is you know in, most of that's in my past I would say but there's still there's still a pleasure in the witnessing of that and I'm assume but I'm assuming that they have a pleasure in doing that and that's probably something 
an assumption I shouldn't be making, but in, in witnessing their movement and their accomplishments, I draw some kind of pleasure in my own tissues. I, I savour their strength and their dexterity. Um, but I'm left with a question about, you know, the why and is it for the pleasure of it? Is it for the process of it? Or is it something else? Is there another kind of relationship with the body that's that's happening? Sorry, my puppy is chewing my chair. <laughs> that's okay. Hi, Lola. <laughs> she can't hear me, but... <laughs> Oh, that's very sweet. I mean, if Pickles Pickles was here in the (laughs) studio, she would be all up in my grill. She would be everywhere. She would would be the star of the show. So it's okay. (laughs) Um, I think, I think that's a really, I think that's a really good point that you raise around, like, there is, there is a, there is a pleasure in seeing people, like, it's why you know, dance performance is something that exists within our culture or circus or acrobatics or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, there is a, there is a pleasure to seeing people's, people do wonderful things with their bodies and seeing that sort of embodiment. Like it's really, it's almost like, you know, it's the same feeling that I have when, you know, occasionally you'll teach a, a, a class. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't really teach these sorts of classes much anymore, but occasionally I might cover like a, I don't know, a power flow class or something. And very rarely, but it, it does happen. And you'll I'll, I'll occasionally have a student in one of those classes and I'm just like transfixed by their practice. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is lovely, isn't it? But I think you're right that there is, you know, we are making an assumption about why, about why they're doing it. And on in- Instagram, is it, is it performative again? You know, am I, you know, I'm being a bit voyeur into their practice, but you're, that's why you won't, you'll very rarely see my bits of practice there are a few places where you see videos of me doing practice or something that we could call practice um but I don't do that for the uh in any way to be performative so I have a question also about yeah as you speak about dance for example or acrobatics or gymnastics I can still take I take a similar pleasure in watching those individuals too um but is asana a performance? There's a, there's a thing, isn't there? Well, I think that's a really important question. And I think it certainly can be performative. I had a bit of a moment recently where, so I sort of similarly to you, I don't often post, I have done so more recently, but I, I went through a period of like a number of years where I didn't post my practice anywhere. Um, and... I recently have started posting a little bit more and I was talking to a friend who's a yoga teacher and I was like, oh, I'm just worried that it's really performative. And she was like, "Mm, you can tell when somebody's doing it performatively. And I was like, actually, that's a really, that's a really good point. And, you know, I think... I think one of the reasons that I'm interested in sharing more of my practice is to sort of offer, I don't know, nothing that I'm doing is like revolutionary by any stretch of the imagination. But I think the more people see that practice or asana practice doesn't have to be this like performative, like 
revolutionary, explosive thing every time they step onto the mat. Um, I think, I think that's that's useful, but yeah, it's a tricky thing because like I've also I've also been in a performative space with it, and I think as a teacher, there's an element of performance to it. Like if you're you know, I feel it sometimes sneak in like when I'm working with my trainees and, you know, recently we were doing like a mm, session on backbends and backbends are such a performative, like if you think about the fact that um, like a functional range of spinal extension is what, like 35-ish degrees, which is um, a sphinx pose, anything beyond a sphinx pose is like for performance or for pleasure like you don't need more than that to be a functional human being. Yeah, I often speak about functional movement, about uh, the things I need to be able to do in my kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't exactly. think I need to open a cupboard behind me by doing that. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can twist and do that. I don't need to. So, yeah. Well, exactly. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. And like, like it's the same thing for like hip flexion. Like, Functional hip flexion is 90 degrees, which is like sitting on the floor in Dandasana. Like, can you you imagine? I often make the joke of like, you know, if you put most yoga teachers into that sort of L-sit position, they would be like, oh, and and if they couldn't go any further, they'd be like, I'm so tight. My hamstrings are so tight. Like, I'm not a good yogi. I need to go and see somebody about this. And like, like a little sketch about like a yogi going to a physical therapist and being like, I can't touch my toes or like, I can't get beyond 90 degrees. And them just being like, what are you talking about? This is perfectly functional. Um, So I think it's also like, there's there's a point in there around like the the framework or like the perspective that you have on how your practice fits into your life like what is your practice for within your life that is um you know uh something interesting to think about yeah Uh, and i'm just actually been speaking i've been thinking about because you referenced Patanjali Yoga Sutras earlier that if you go to those three is it three or four sutras in chapter two about asana I know the commentary does expand into a number of describing a number of asana which are I think all but one are seated asana that are described in Vyasa's commentary but um what 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 in the little sort of bullet points that Patanjali speaks about it's almost like he's describing the overarching flavor of an asana mm-hmm. as being that stira asana bit, mm-hmm. you know, that is asana, you know, whether I, you know, so, so it has nothing to do with hamstrings really, does it? No. At the end of the day. <laughs> no, not at all. The philosophy like... of your hamstrings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of like, funnily enough, I was, my, my first teacher training was a bit, wild (laughs) the one not the first one that I taught but the first one that I did was a bit wild and we were taught that um if you had tight hamstrings it was because you were having trouble letting go of the past (laughs) which you know I could sort of like I don't know how that factored in but anyway well I don't know how that factors in either yeah 
dot 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 <laughs> there's a di- we need to another speak to those trainers and figure out what their intention was in that in that yeah. moment yeah it was an interesting moment and any issues that you had with had to do with your knees was like a manifestation of um any ego issues knees were all about ego oh god Go I figure. say oh god because of my what my my left knee. Yeah. My, I don't know which bit of god that is, but like, it's, I wonder that's what got my meniscus tears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, well, shockingly, Beverly, we are already at the end of our time here, which is just remarkable oh to me. Um, so, where can where can our listeners find you? So. Um, uh, for one sort of personal interactions, there's beverlynolan.com uh, as a website, and for and there and for training and CPDs, the best place is barefootbody.com. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Beverly. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank and you. Yeah, I'll see you soon. Went so quickly. Thank you so much. You're so yeah. welcome. Take care, Harriet. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to In Our Experience. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. We love hearing what you think and it makes a really big difference. In the meantime, until the next episode comes out, why not check us out on our Instagram account at Nourish Yoga Training or pop us an email via our website. See you soon.